Hello and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show. I am your host today, Erica. It is September 14th, Friday. Drive. Joining me in our virtual studio is Tiffany and Doug. Good morning. Hello. So today we're doing health news headlines, the good, the bad, and the completely insane. <laughs> so we're going to touch on the latest news in the health sphere. We're going to talk about that ongoing hate campaign against low-carb diets and the fact that maybe red meat and cheese are good for you. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Also, uh, maybe we can cut gluten some slack as we turn to the evil spawn, Monsatan, <laughs> and glyphosate, because we can't cover health bits without talking about that disturbing herbicide that has contaminated everything on the planet. Um, also, the creeping of dicamba, a.k.a. Agent Orange, for those who are unaware. That's what that is. Yes. Is it? I yes. thought Agent Orange was R2-D1 or something. 2-4-D. Is that yes. dicamba? Yes. Oh. And also magic mushrooms or psilocybin. Is it more than just tripping? <laughs> so, and coconut oil. Is it a poison? Oh, God. <laughs> so we hope to have a lively discussion today. Yeah, I can't quite tease out what is good, what is bad, and what is completely <laughs> insane, because it seems yeah. like almost everything is insane. Yeah, but, pretty much. Yeah. And we'd love I to guess. hear uh, from our chatters and maybe even a caller, if anyone is super inspired to call in and share some health bits that are good or bad or completely insane. We <laughs> encourage you. We'd love to hear from our audience. Yes. Very Which good. one do we want to start with? Let's start with the good. We'll Which one up. is that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the FDA approving psilocybin for true. Yeah, I guess we can do that one. Um, Did we just lose... One of our co-hosts. Yeah, sounds like it. He'll be back. So the FDA is going to approve psilocybin mushrooms, otherwise known as magic mushrooms, otherwise known as mushrooms that people trip off of and get high. I've never done it, so I can't really speak on it personally about what the effects are, but apparently it has really good effects for curing depression. It, well, the researchers who study it say that it makes your brain hyper-connected and it kind of re-establishes your connection with other people, unlike traditional antidepressants where it kind of numbs you and makes you feel disconnected from others. Psilocybin does the opposite. Yeah, so uh, the Berkeley Wellness blog talked a little bit about it, uh, how it can help with emotional regulation. And for people that are uh, struggling with depression, allegedly the magic mushrooms or psilocybin can help blood flow to the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that controls emotion. So um, 
or maybe it's reduced blood flow yeah, to the amygdala. Re- yeah, regulates yeah. it because that's the the fear center. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, read a little bit of people's accounts as far as the use of psilocybin. And it sounds like a lot of them who, like, apparently the more kind of profound the experience that people have while they're mm-hmm. tripping is, like, the the better it is at kind of um, getting rid of their depression. Mm. And it seems like a, a lot of people kind of have these experiences where they're kind of, it's it sounds like very deeply psychological experiences that they're having and kind of really kind of getting some of the stuff, like their subconscious kind of coping mechanisms out into the conscious brain and are Mm -hmm. able to kind of work through these things um and i mean most of these people that i've read about are are under the supervision of uh um some kind of doctor like a psychiatrist or psychologist or something along those lines and are kind of able to be guided through through this and um, have these very profound experiences and and work through whatever kind of the root cause of the issue is Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it sounds very beneficial, and it's kind of unfortunate that it's been illegal for so long. But it's, well, what uh, if you have a bad trip? Can you still get something good out of it? Like, because I've read of people who have had, like, really awful, scary trips where they see some things that really freak them out. Mm. Well, it sounds like they're doing pretty low doses mm-hmm. to start, and like Doug was saying, they're like, it's like in a controlled environment where they have people on staff and they're you know supported and and maybe even in a quote-unquote bad trip some things come to light like their deepest fears and anxieties can kind of be acknowledged and dealt with mm-hmm. yeah. so th- are they doing actual talk therapy during these mushroom sessions or are they just letting them just lay there and process stuff well, I think it one, includes, yeah. Go on, Doug. The one that I read about, the one that I, that I was reading about in particular, it seemed like it was just kind of a guy who was laying on a couch and kind of describing what he was seeing and, um, and you know, would have kind of minimal input from the, the counselor. Mm-hmm. But um, who knows? I mean, there might be multiple people trying different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe there is, like, an, some people who are doing actual therapy sessions under the influence yeah well they say that the effects are lasting Mm -hmm. like weeks and maybe up to a year after the session maybe even more if it was really profound some people describe it as completely Mm life-changing so i guess that's good and the fact that it's so good and it's natural and the fda endorses it just makes me suspicious of course (laughs) In what sense? Like suspicious of the FDA? Yes. Like their motivations? Like, yeah, what, what's their motivation? What are they going to get out of it? Because it's... Or what are they well, going to... Are you going to patent it or what? I wonder... Um, I wonder if it's just kind of like a, a side effect of the whole legalization of marijuana thing that's going... Like that's gaining wider and wider acceptance right now. Like maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe this is a little too optimistic, but I wonder if people are just kind of looking at these things and 
you know, because things have been so extreme for so long, it's kind of like a newer generation is coming in and people are like, you know what, I smoked pot in college. This stuff is really not that bad. Like, I think we really need to kind of take a, a deeper look at this and see if we're doing more harm than good by keeping it illegal. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think, you know, psilocybin is basically falls under that same kind of category. I mean, you know, it's a it can be a pretty potent hallucinogen, but it's not... Um, it's, it's nothing that's addictive or is going to make people go out and commit crimes or anything like that. And if it has a therapeutic benefit, then I, you know, maybe that is too optimistic. Maybe there is some kind of like dark <laughs> ulterior motive going on there, but I can't see what it would be. Well, the study um, was undertaken by, I guess it's a company called Compass Pathways, and they were talking about how Uh, depression is the leading cause of ill health and disability worldwide and treatment resistant depression affects more than 100 million people so maybe the reality that antidepressants aren't really cutting it is coming to pass and I doubt it (laughs) (laughs) am I being too optimistic? yes (laughs) yeah I mean if if, because the fact of the matter is this has to be this isn't really being done by big pharma. Like yes. big pharma has absolutely no interest in this. They would never pursue something that they can't patent that would actually make their drugs obsolete. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I think that it's, yeah, it, it, it's basically like, I, I can't see that um, anything that's completely under the influence of big pharma would be behind this. Mm-mm. Unless, maybe, as to that, there's some kind of ulterior motive. Maybe it's just the FDA's way of throwing us a bone. Like, mm. they know that they're evil. They know they're in the back pocket of big pharma. And maybe they just want something they can point to and say, look, guys, we're not that bad. We approve psilocybin mushrooms. And this little UK company is going to do very, very small trials. And maybe they'll charge like $10,000 per session or something. I don't know. I just can't see. Well, I know with in Canada, with the whole push to legalize marijuana and stuff, it was entirely Justin Trudeau. Right, like he mm-hmm. platformed on it. He knew it would be popular um, among voters, so he kind of said, "Oh yeah, we're going to legalize it." So you can see the motive there, right? Like, mm-hmm. is basically like he did it. He did it to buy votes. In the U.S., I'm not so sure because I don't think I, I, th- I think I remember hearing that Trump was considering legalization, but I yeah, I marijuana know. though. Yeah, yeah. Medical, no, but yeah. I. I I'm 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 assuming that these are kind of related. Maybe that's not a safe assumption. I don't know. Hmm. But um, like, I don't see like maybe I I don't think the FDA is really overly concerned with their image among the public (laughs) 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 in the past. So I don't see that they would do this as a means of you know trying to be like, yeah, we're we're not so bad. But maybe. Hmm. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah, And if our listeners are interested, we kind of touched on the whole psilocybin thing in a previous show, uh, Don't Try This at Home, Illicit Cures and Black Market Medicine. <laughs> and also, um, and I know I've mentioned him many times, Paul Stamets. He's like mm-hmm. the mycelium guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just mention it again. 
in regards to the brain connections. I mean, mushrooms can really help work through uh, TBI, traumatic brain injuries, so mm. by reconnecting those connections, uh, oh. neurons in the brain. So maybe that's a way that these organizations that are not supported by the FDA will start to do research and find mm. that microdosing, they call it, can help people. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, even, even if it is opened up to wider use legally, I don't see a big rush of people running out to chomp on magic no. mushrooms. Yeah. Marijuana is a different story because that's just yeah. been so ingrained in a lot of Western culture. But mushrooms yeah. is kind of like a niche kind of thing, I think. It's not yeah. a party drug. It's not really like, you know, let's do mushrooms and, well, maybe some people do actually. Kids will do anything, I guess. Well, that was one of the things that Paul Stamets has really been working towards these days, is really changing the whole discussion around it. And he did an interview with Joe Rogan, and he really doesn't like them being called shrooms. Because that takes a lot of... It's disrespectful. It's disrespectful, and it takes a lot of the seriousness out of what they can do Mm -hmm. to help people. Um, in this article we're talking about, too, they also, the Berkeley Wellness blog also reported that the FDA is considering approving MDMA for the treatment of PTSD. So mm, that's ecstasy, right? Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. interesting. I mean, that one started out as a psychological drug, mm-hmm. like a psychological medication, and then people started abusing it. <laughs> and they were like, nope, mm. this is illegal. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, because nothing the FDA approves is abused by people. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe that's a good uh, segue into the whole opiate discussion. The uh, yeah, this one is this one is for me on the verge of utterly ridiculous. That this drug company family, the Sackler family, can get away with such things. Yeah. So Purdue. Uh, I think his name is Richard Sackler, one of the people in the Sackler family. They're the ones who got rich off of OxyContin. They knew how addictive it was. They downplayed it. And now... (laughs) They're pretty... Well, people blame them. I wouldn't say they're single-handedly responsible for the current opioid crisis, but they They have a pretty big hand in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They were one of the movers and the shakers in that whole thing. So now they've got the green light from the FDA to to make a new type of Suboxone to treat uh, heroin addiction. And this type of Suboxone, heroin? Yeah. Methadone, street drugs. Yeah. So it's supposed to be abuse resistant. Isn't that what they said about OxyContin? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do we want to even go down that rabbit hole? It's so disturbing. I mean. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) I got to pull myself together here. (laughs) Look at my notes. Yeah. So the, what is it? How do you say? Brepronephrine. Brepronephrine. Let me see. (laughs) Buprenorphine. Buprenorphine. Yeah. Buprenorphine. 
So for people that read Sod, if you want to look at the history of the Purdue uh, Pharma Company, uh, I mean, we have endless articles you can just put in Purdue Pharma Company, but um, they basically got this product on the market in 1995, and uh FDA approved it, <laughs> and um, in 1996, the first year it was on the market, they made 45 million. By 2000, uh, that ballooned to 1.1 million billion. Sorry, with billion. a B. Yeah. yeah, and um, and 10 years later, 3.1 billion. So um, they basically this. O opioid accounted for 30% of the painkiller market. And now there's um, states suing um, Purdue Pharma. Uh, Kentucky's one of them. Washington is another. I feel like West Ma Virginia. Yeah, Massachusetts. And, you know, they can't go after the fact that they are getting all these people strung out. So it's, what was it? I have to look at my notes real quick. But it was they the basically... They said it was abuse resistant uh -huh. and that it was would be a good alternative. And it turned out that they had used uh, manipulative marketing <laughs> and um, they, you know, used uh, their product adverts in medical journals and television and radio and... Um, got it on the market somehow, and then it just took off and started to be prescribed to everyone for everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's crazy. Like, you know, somebody would like break their wrist or something like that mm -hmm. and be given these as just painkillers. And next thing they know, they've got a hardcore opiate addiction. Like, it's just, it's insane. It's insane how addictive might, it uh, is. Yeah, they might get uh, busted for double dipping or pharmacy shopping or doctor shopping and getting multiple prescri prescriptions for it and then they get thrown off and then heroin is pretty cheap so yeah there's there a go. lot of people who actually ended up going to heroin after mm -hmm. getting hooked on uh, oxycotton but allegedly there are supposed to be safeguards to prevent this type of addiction like you have to, if you go to your doctor and you're given this, it's supposed to be one of the last resorts, but often it isn't. Um, but you have to sign this drug contract and it's basically a pledge saying that you will not abuse your prescription. You're only, you won't try and get early refills. You can have what a bunch random, of BS. Random drug tests. Like if you test positive for any other drug, then they'll kick you off. So it doesn't stop anybody from abusing it. And people no. get some and they don't take it and they sell it on the black market. So it's just this whole disaster. And that's kind of how it got term to label hillbilly heroin mm -hmm. yeah it's it, it, like how stupid is that though if somebody's <laughs> addicted to something like full-on addicted do you think that they're gonna stop and think well i did make that pledge <laughs> no of course they're not that's not gonna do anything what a bunch of bs well in 2007 uh kentucky filed a lawsuit against them and um it was called United States of America versus the Purdue Frederick Company. And um, 
the prosecutors found a corporate culture that allowed their product to be misbranded with the intent to defraud and mislead. Mm. Purdue Pharma paid $600 million in fines among the largest settlements in U.S. history for the pharmaceutical company. But it's still on the market. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like you guys were saying earlier about how people may have had a back surgery or painful labor and needed it, and then their prescription runs out, and then they go to street heroin because it's easily accessible and cheaper. Mm-hmm. And then you have addicts, and and, uh, I've done a lot of research on this um, because I know and have people in my life who've struggled with addiction, and it's really crazy. I've been to, you know, forums in communities that are ravaged by this epidemic, and so the fact that Suboxone now is the treatment is so crazy to me, and You know, one thing that's interesting about these forums is that it's not just, quote unquote, junkies or homeless people or, Mm -hmm. you know, the the degenerates of society. It's people that have families and businesses and are just struggling with pain and aren't ever really given any sort of alternative to a painkiller medication. Mm Mm-hmm. And as we know, when somebody's wearing a white coat, they say, oh, this is this Oxycontin. It's not like uh, morphine. It's, you know, I think that was one of the ways it got so popular with it. It wasn't going to be addictive, Mm -hmm. that you could take it and then you could get off of it. And then now we're finding that that's not the case. Well, when they give it to you, they try to normalize it. Like, you won't become addicted. You legitimately have pain. But they don't mention that you develop a tolerance and you're going to need more and more. It doesn't matter that you're not just some junkie on the street and you're not going to go out and like steal somebody's microwave and sell it in order to get the drugs. It doesn't mean that you're not addicted just because those things don't happen. It still is devastating to your life. Yeah. Yeah. So my thinking about when I read this article was repulsive Mm -hmm. that they would make money on the upturn now it's everywhere. States are suing. Everyone has somebody in their life that has been on it or used it or suffered from the withdrawals of it. And now they're going to make money on the downturn, too. Mm-hmm. That just makes me so very they, angry. So they created the problem, and now <laughs> they're coming up with the solution to the problem. And the they thing about it is, the, yeah, the Suboxone treatment is like $200 a week, right? And so last year... Um, when President Trump actually addressed the fact that we do have an opioid epidemic in the United States, of course, uh, rehab organizations and, you know, people that want to help people get clean, oh, they found this Suboxone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, maybe if you have medical insurance, you can get part of that paid for. But on the street, Dealers are selling heroin, fentanyl, and Suboxone. Mm. Mm. So it's it's not just being given out by doctors. It's now an illicit. Suboxone doesn't get you high, right? Like it's isn't it one that doesn't give you the kind of euphoric feeling that opioids do, but it helps with the the withdrawal symptoms. Yes. So they selling it on the street because people it's like here's your dose of heroin and then here's your suboxone to come down yes 
Well, I don't know if it gets you high like heroin, but it still is an opioid. It still works on the same pathways. I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's addictive within itself. It is, okay. Yeah. And prior to Suboxone was methadone, and we don't need to go into the whole discussion of of that. Yeah, (laughs) but a lot for years, that was the treatment, was a methadone treatment for Mm -hmm. people trying to get off heroin. And and you know people could be on that for 10 years and mm. and then it started to come out that they were combining methadone with Xanax because of the anxiety and mm. and people were dying and it's like when are we going to deal with the real issue mm-hmm. which is what is causing all of these addictions i mean how has it gotten to the point where it's as bad as it is and you know, there are people, I'm sure, doctors who try and find alternatives. But right. for the most part, the, the Suboxone is the new alternative. Mm. And the Sacklers can just get away with it. How many billions of dollars does one family need? I mean, I can um, understand people like nice things. I like nice things, even though <laughs> I'm dirt poor, but. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, after, after a certain greed. level, yeah, because like after a certain level, it's like there, it, you no longer, there's no longer anything on planet Earth that you can't afford to buy mm-hmm. in multiples, right? <laughs> and it's kind of like, but they still keep on accumulating and accumulating and accumulating more money. It's kind of, it's insane. It's kind of like, you know, you can't even use the word need because obviously there is no need for that. Mm-hmm. So I guess it is just like some kind of weird psychological predisposition to like obliterate all the competition in your uh, in the kind of rich guy club like you just need to keep on amassing more and more it's insane well and the lawsuits don't do anything i mean right now this article came out it's called billionaire oxycontin dealer richard sackler set to rake in more money with patent on addiction treatment drug and this was just this month it came out so right now there's over a thousand lawsuits against the company um, for allegations that the OxyContin helped foment the opioid crisis. And in June, Attorney General of Massachusetts sued Purdue Pharma, um, accusing the privately held company of contributing to the opioid epidemic and um, including the opioid-related deaths of more than 670 Massachusetts residents since 2009. And they're saying in Massachusetts, the opioid epidemic is killing five people every day. And opioids are believed, so the whole opioid thing uh, is believed to be killing about 90 people per day. And in the lawsuit, they actually name the Sackler family, Richard Sackler, Teresa Sackler, Katie Sackler, Jonathan Sackler, and Mortimer Sackler. Um, We'll see. And, you know, these kinds of things just fall off the radar. You never hear. They probably settle out of court. They Mm -hmm. pay, and then they go on. Yeah, if you have a trillion dollars, what's a few million Mm -hmm. to give somebody? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that's completely insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's true, too. Mm. Boy, oh, boy. Well, here's, here's something that's, I think, well, it's kind of not. It's kind of like bittersweet. Bittersweet. 
because <laughs> we thought we had hit pay dirt when we discovered gluten intolerance. And <laughs> <laughs> then it comes out that maybe gluten isn't so bad after all. We spent so much time just bashing the hell out of gluten. <laughs> and it's just crying and glyphosate's over there in the corner laughing. <laughs> So we're not gluten intolerant? Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, it's into, I mean, basically there's a, there's a theory going around now that actually has been around for a little, a little while. Mm -hmm. um, but recently there was a study put out by uh, Stephanie Seneff and her um, colleagues that found, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not a silver bullet, um, but it, it basically the is showing that is compelling. it is compelling that actually what people are having issues with is glyphosate and not gluten. And that the symptoms of celiac disease and uh, various forms of gluten intolerance are actually the same as um, the symptoms of uh, glyphosate expo exposure. Mm. Exposure so, is right to your gut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's actually pretty fascinating. Like, uh, let me just see some of the stuff that they say. So, it says uh, celiac disease is associated with imbalances in gut bacteria that can be fully explained by the known effects of glyphosate on gut bacteria. Celiac disease is associated with the impairment of cytochrome P450 enzymes. Glyphosate is known to inhibit cytochrome P450 enzymes. Mm -hmm. Deficiencies in iron, cobalt, molybdenum, copper, and other rare metals associated with celiac disease can be attributed to glyphosate's strong ability to chelate these elements. Deficiencies in tryptophan, tyrosine, methionine, selenomethionine associated with celiac disease match glyphosate's known depletion of these amino acids. Celiac disease patients also have a known increased risk for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which has also been implicated in glyphosate exposure. So, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a number of things. It's kind of like they're all lining up. It's kind of like they're mm -hmm. all the same thing. And it seems that even the rise of celiac disease mirrors the rise of glyphosate usage, particularly on wheat. You know, mm -hmm. because they started, they started using glyphosate not just as kind of for Roundup Ready crops that have been genetically modified to be able to take this, um, and they just douse the field with glyphosate to get rid of all the um, the weeds. Um, but they started putting it on to wheat crops and some other crops too. I think like maybe oats. barley or oats or something. Oats, okay. Mm -hmm. And they'd spray it on that to uh, as a desiccant to kind of uh, dry up the um the the wheat or the the grains before harvest um so i mean they're basically Doesn't killing the it plant make the the wheat give up more seeds so they get a yeah bigger harvest yeah. apparently it does it's kind of like they kill off the um the grain and it's like its last gasp is to kind of put out as much seed as it possibly can before it dies for survival kind of, the species yeah exactly so it's it you know it totally makes sense that this is actually what has been messing with everybody's gut, and you know and, and I I hear stories from people where they say like, oh yeah you know it's weird I can't eat weed in uh, North America but if I go to certain places in Europe and I eat the bread I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like well maybe in the country that you're visiting they're not actually doing this 
um, spraying yet. of glyphosate right before yet. the end. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or other writers have said that um, they use organically grown wheat at home. They go out to a restaurant and have wheat. They have all kinds of gut issues mm. after that. And it's interesting, I, too, because I remember reading, um, this was quite a while ago, that the country in Europe that had the most prevalence of um, celiac disease was Italy. And mm -hmm. I was, at the time was thinking, well, yeah, it's because of all that pizza and pasta and bread and all that kind of stuff. It's because, because of exposure. But I, so I, after reading this article, I was kind of like, well, I wonder if um, Italy does this whole process of like spraying their wheat with glyphosate beforehand. And I didn't get anything conclusive on it. But in 2016, they banned um, farmers from doing that. So obviously, at least some of them were doing it beforehand. Maybe a lot of them. So yeah, they would have had to ban it otherwise. Right. Mm. right. Well, I'm sure our listeners know about the fact that Bayer just purchased Monsanto. And, um, you know, isn't Bayer based out of Europe? Hey, I think it's German, isn't it? Yeah. Or Swiss? They used to be, didn't they used to be IG Farben? Yeah. 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 So one thing you mentioned, Doug, is that non-Hopkins lymphoma, and that is the case that just was heard in California last mm -hmm. month, um, you know, that the jury did find them guilty. I mean, of course, Monsanto is going to fight back, and they'll drag it on for years and years and years. But it's just so interesting that it's taken all this time, and this what we're sharing this research uh, meta-analysis actually came out in 2013. So it's kind of old news, but it wasn't carried by the mainstream media in any way except for Mother Earth News and the Healthy Home Economist. And it was in uh, the journal Interdisciplinary Toxicology. And along with Stephanie Senoff was Anthony Samsel. He's uh, an independent scientist. And he's actually worked for the EPA on arsenic pollution and the U.S. Coast Guard on chemical hazard response. So these aren't, you know, kind of whack jobs that are out in the alternative health sphere. Mm -hmm. They are scientists. And we did have an interview with Stephanie Senoff that we encourage everyone to listen to because she really breaks excellent. down yeah. how it just destroys your gut. And even... You know, eight or nine years ago, Dr. Jeffrey Smith um, wrote about it uh, basically. And, and what sticks in my mind is that he says when you eat foods that have glyphosate in it, they basically produce insecticide pesticides in your gut. Yeah. So that might be why we're seeing, you know, this explosion of all these gut issues. Mm hmm. So does this mean that we can go back to eating wheat? <laughs> uh, I don't know. The impression, you know, I was thinking about this, and it's kind of like, it, it's like there was a lot of research, like, you know, the reason that we've been talking about for so long, the whole thing of avoiding gluten, is that there was a significant amount of research showing that gluten is not good for you. Now, mm -hmm. I think maybe what the issue is, is that it's not good for you, but it's not that bad for most people. It's kind of like, well, you know, mm -hmm. this is definitely not an ideal food, but it's not going to kill you. And but, though, go ahead, finish. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that then the glyphosate makes things like 10 times worse. 
that it kind of ruins your gut integrity and then the stuff that's a little bit bad about gluten suddenly becomes really, really bad. Yeah. But when they were doing these studies on gluten, were they studying gluten that had traces of glyphosate in it? Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. that's well, a good that's, question. That's, and, and this may be a little bit of good news. Maybe I'm too optimistic. But I want to eat a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> With some gravy. No, that, um, that now these studies will actually be looked at a little bit more closely mm -hmm. by alternative non-industry funded researchers mm. that uh, the truth will out eventually. I mean, we can kind of see it, at least I know, because I always follow this kind of stuff, that more and more every day you read another article, another, you know, study that is showing the evils of it. I mean... We just had one on SOT about the growing list mm -hmm. of products that are tested positive for glyphosate contamination. And yeah. that includes... Organics. Organics. And that's sad. Yeah, very sad. Well, one of our chatters said that it's still a carbohydrate. So... That's true. <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I would go back... I'm okay no. with not eating wheat. I am too. Yeah, most of the time. It's like yeah. it, it really at this point it's it's kind of like it doesn't doesn't phase me in the least. Mm. Now, if I accidentally were to fall onto a piece of chocolate cake <laughs> <laughs> with and my it, mouth wide open, <laughs> I wouldn't freak out too much. <laughs> I'd freak out more about the glyphosate than I would about the gluten. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, now the what's it called? Monsanto has come out with an another because that you know it's kind of like they've they've rode out all they can on glyphosate at this point, and it's just like it's starting to be in its death throes because people are becoming more and more aware of mm -hmm. how dangerous it is. So they've come out with something that's near, <laughs> nearly as bad, as far as I can tell. Um, called dicamba. Mm -hmm. And it's another kind of weed killer that, you know, is supposed to be um, a replacement for glyphosate. It's kind of like, okay, but yeah, glyphosate is really bad. Sorry about that. Here, we, we came up with something new. Here, try this one instead. But it's like, <laughs> what, you know, it, it's just, it, I don't know if it's just as bad. I mean, it's relatively new, so I don't think they. How, there's the amount of research behind it that um, that glyphosate is starting to get, but it sounds oh, like is. at the very least. Oh, there is. Yeah. Do you tell? So it's 2,4-D, which is essentially what Agent Orange is. Hmm. Mm. So it's an exfoliant, right? No, is that what the, a defoliant they call it? And. Mm. Um, they came out with dicamba to deal with the Roundup-resistant superweed issue. So for our listeners, superweeds are weeds that become resistant to Roundup. So if you're growing super huge monocrops like corn and soybeans, now that glyphosate's been used for, what, 20 years, the weeds are uh, developing resistance. And so it's really taking a toll on farmers 
And so they kind of quietly just decided, well, we'll use this dicamba. We'll reintroduce Agent Orange. We'll just call it something different. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, they spray it and it kills the weeds. But now what's happening is they're having pesticide drift and it's killing other farmers' crops, and it's causing huge issues in big farming states. Uh, Tennessee, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, what are some of the other states that are, um, they're suing, Mass, uh, Arkansas, Arkansas, and um, it, it's equally bad, if not worse. Well, I can appreciate suing to get them to stop being naughty, but your crops are all ruined already. Yeah. It's yeah. not, you can't turn back the clock. Mm-hmm. That's the tragic thing about it. And with that 2,4-D, it, it, it was never really, you know, Monsanto said, oh, it's tested and, you know, it's okay and we're just going to continue on. But when they did the testing, they did everything in kind of controlled greenhouse environments and it was never tested for drift wild. in the wild, yeah. Mm. Now, are they marketing dicamba as Roundup? No. Because I was in I was in a, um, <clears throat> a gardening store recently, and I saw that they had Roundup on the shelf, and I was kind of like, well, you know, its days are probably numbered, so that's good. But I took a look at it, and it didn't say that it was glyphosate. It was something else. So I don't know mm. if they've switched to a different formula and um but i don't i didn't notice i hadn't heard of dicamba at that point so i didn't Mm -hmm. i didn't see if that's what it was well it was the dicamba was approved in 2015 i think and again you know kind of what we mentioned on last week's show you know insiders corporate whoring i'll say it but (laughs) you know they're they're um they're projected use of this is going to be just in the United uh, States, 176 million pounds of it. Hmm. And so, I mean, you're going to get drift. It's going to drift into everything. It's going to be in the water. Other crops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, years ago I had said this about that's really their intention is that everything at one point and another will be, GMO, Roundup Ready, glyphosate contaminated. And I thought it was a little bit out there. But when you read stuff like this, you realize like, ooh, maybe I was kind of right. Yeah. And it seems though, ultimately, though, unless you're a complete schizoid nutcase, you would never come out and just say you want everything on earth dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, where else can it go? That's the end result. Everybody yeah. and everything on earth dead. Or very yeah. sickly yeah. and in need of Oxycontin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I, it just is so crazy again and again and again that we just keep coming back around to the same thing. Sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> Have we yeah. said this before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, the most insane thing, like, I've got this guy in, it's a guy I knew in high school, 
And I'd never actually encountered this before, but the guy is totally like rabidly pro genetic modification, pro glyphosate, like pro everything. And the amount, I don't even know where the guy gets this stuff, but he posts all these articles that is, are like talking about how there's absolutely nothing wrong with glyphosate and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, I mean, you know, maybe I should like engage with him, but I think it would be a total waste of time. Hmm. And it's just, I didn't know that those kinds of people actually existed. It's well, like, the guy who doesn't who, think glyphosate's bad? The guy who is suing Monsanto for non-Hopkins lymphoma. Dwayne Johnson, got, not the actor. Yeah, he got like over $200 million. 200. And there was some dude stalking him, talking about how great Monsanto is and how evil he Seriously? is. Yeah, oh so maybe that's the guy you went to high school with. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> Well, he he hasn't gotten the money yet. Yeah, well, they have to. <laughs> he was awarded it, but they still have a chance to appeal. Yeah, which I'm surprised yeah. that he even got anything. Well, if they pay the money out, then they admit guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they'll just drag it on and on, and meanwhile they'll let Dicamba take over, and people and the will guy forget. Will probably will have passed away by time that anything yeah. happens. But I think a lot of stuff is going to come out mm -hmm. of this. All these studies that were suppressed, that people were never allowed to share. I mean, I can't imagine there's not going to be at least one person with a conscience that's going to leak some documents mm. and be a whistleblower. Well, if the court will allow it, there was still a lot of stuff that the court would not allow to be presented. Mm -hmm. Right. But even yeah. what we do know is awful enough. And, and people yeah. think you're crazy. I've had the same experience, Doug. Um, more than anything, I did a, a presentation at the University of Hawaii, I don't know, seven or eight years ago about GMOs and, you know, the contamination of the soil. And once it's in the soil, you can never get rid of it. And was basically called completely anti-science. And then was told, well, we've been breeding plants for years, for gener thousands of years. I mean, what's the difference? And it's like, really? I mean, you haven't yeah. looked into how... They use a gene gun and they splice genes. And I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I wonder, though, if you were actually doing a talk that was kind of advertised beforehand, like it, Monsanto, like it has a long history of actually sending plants into like not plants as in growing plants, but like people who have been planted. <laughs> They send them into talks and things like that and to shout them down. They put people online to, like, um, fight in forums and stuff like that about it. So, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that person was, like, on the payroll. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole anti-science thing is just ludicrous. Because, you know, why, just because you're against um, sloppy and um, irresponsible science doesn't mean that you're against science altogether. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I don't have anything wrong with people doing um, genetic modification experiments as long as it stays in the lab and it's mm -hmm. honest. You know, it doesn't have like these people, you know, putting it out into the environment without doing their due diligence on whether or not it's going to cause problems. Like, honestly, like, I, you know, I don't have anything against the idea of scientific experimentation, mm -hmm. but this is just corruption to its core. Like, this it's, is it's like ridiculous. something out of a weird dystopian margaret atwood novel 
Totally. Or, yeah. or, or children of men, you know, mm-hmm. uh, infertility. Yeah. I mean, that's just one of the side effects. Yeah. yeah. So that's definitely bad. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the our chatters news? said, oh, did you want to move on? <laughs> no, no. One of our chatters well, said what? <laughs> yeah, said that uh, one, one almost wonders if Monsanto was sold off to the German company Bayer just in time. And apparently there is some evidence of that. Like they, what was it? I read recently that the that Bayer didn't know about all the lawsuits yeah, that were Monsanto on file, or the suppressed it. suppressed um, internal memos and all this kind of stuff that basically admitted to um, the connection between uh, glyphosate and uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I um, don't know if I believe I that. Think- I feel like if you're going to spend what billions. Mm-hmm. You're going to do your research. These companies are going to do their research. They have all kinds of money to throw at research consultants. That sounds a little disingenuous to me. Well, maybe it's it's a way for them to have an out like, um, we didn't just buy the most evil corporation in the world or anything. We didn't know. It's, it, but here's the thing. It's like, who knew? Because apparently it's the shareholders who are complaining. It's the shareholders mm-hmm, who are saying mm-hmm. like, so, I mean, they might have not been upfront with the shareholders about it. Like mm-hmm. maybe Bayer was kind of like, well, we know this stuff exists, but let's just keep that under the, under the rug because we want to buy Monsanto. And yeah. now the shareholders are like, what the hell, man? We didn't know about this. <laughs> We're losing money fast and furious. <laughs> <laughs> And it's against law for a company not to make money for its shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I put an article up on the chat if anyone's interested. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been really involved with this whole Monsanto lawsuit. And so if anyone's interested in reading more about, it's called uh, Bayer Needs More Than an Aspirin to Cure Its Monsanto-Sized Headache. (laughs) And it's he, not like Bayer's a saint of a company either. No. No. <laughs> no. It's evil. Nazi collaborators. Maybe that's yeah, it. it. Everyone's going to die of glyphosate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the new genocide. Human race genocide. Mm-hmm. Well, Big Pharma rakes in the dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are they going to well, do when everyone's dead? Make genetically modified humans. They're going to be <laughs> uploaded into the cloud. It's not going to matter. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Glyphosate dicamba resistant genetically modified humans coming to a town near you. <laughs> well, glyphosate is okay. It's the coconut oil that's going to oh, kill you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Coconut oil is poison. There was this professor from the University of Freiburg, Freiburg in Germany, Karen Michels. She said coconut oil is poison, and it's one of the worst foods you can eat. <gasps> Love it. <laughs> yeah. Never mind Charles- that generations for eons have been consuming coconut oil and flesh and coconut smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> and rubbing it on their body and in their hair. And not dying. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, obviously this person is just so steeped in the anti-fat hysteria mm-hmm. that they took a look at the fat profile of coconut oil and were like, well, it's all saturated fat. 
That's <gasps> insane. Obviously, <laughs> it's just going to kill you. It is poison. And meanwhile, you know, anybody mm-hmm. worth their salt in research, biochemistry, knows that there is no health, negative health effect of eating saturated fat. Natural <laughs> saturated fat. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with it at all. So there is absolutely no reason to avoid saturated fat. Therefore, there's no reason, or there's not that reason, to avoid coconut oil. And to call it pure poison is just the most ridiculous thing ever. You wonder if she's a paid shill. You have to start wondering certain things, because I can't believe that anybody would be that stupid. I mean, there's you, me, and Doug here. (laughs) We're nobodies. (laughs) We know... Already, I've known for years that saturated fat is not bad for you. What's wrong with this woman (laughs) that she doesn't know that by now? I think she's just like, you know, as much as you can say that, that we know, so therefore these people should know. But I think it's because (laughs) we're nobody, because we aren't being constantly inundated with propaganda. You know, the the same old paradigm. Exactly. Our paycheck doesn't depend on... The, the the old paradigm being true. Mm. So yeah, we're we're much more free to actually accept the truth. Okay. More I'll or cut less. Her some slack. Well, I wouldn't cut her any slack, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you do I do notice that it seems like at least once a year a study comes out or a, not this wasn't a study, but but you know, something comes out that spreads throughout the news. Um, about coconut oil. Like, wasn't it only about a year ago that there was, like, some study that said that, or no, wait, what, was it, like, the AHA or something like that said that coconut oil is is evil and that it's going to kill? There was all these parody videos and all that kind of stuff about how coconut oil is going to kill you. Yeah. So it seems like, just like, you know, you can set your watch by the the whole uh, low carb is going to kill you. Like, a, mm-hmm. one of those studies comes out, at least, you know, there's a couple of year, a couple uh, come out a year. And now it seems like coconut oil is in the same category. It's like, and yeah, I think it's probably the vegetable oil industry or mm-hmm. something like that that are, you know, they have shady PR departments that are making these things spread throughout um, the media. Maybe it's to counter the whole low-carb kind of craze as people are jumping onto it. Like celebrities are saying, oh, I want keto and lost weight. And all of a sudden, you see uh, coconut oils killing you. Yeah, yeah, it could be that. Although it, the thing is, though, coconut oil is really popular with the vegans too. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's the only saturated fat they can eat. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, one of our chatters, Ryan, said. Meanwhile, everyone else is scoffing coconuts like no tomorrow. <laughs> the funny thing about it is, coconuts haven't been genetically modified yet. What? You shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a tree. It's a palm tree, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm sure they could figure out a way. Mm. Or they're yeah. just going to start, well, I won't say it. I won't put it out there. <laughs> the information field. Keep it in my own brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'd start seeing a lot more articles in the mainstream media about how good coconuts are for you. Especially yeah. if they're genetically modified. <laughs> genetically modified to be higher in... No, they'll genetically modify it so it doesn't have saturated fat anymore. It's oh, like man. polyunsaturated fat. It's like, oh yeah, coconut oil with omega-3s. 
made it's with good 100%. for oil pulling. <laughs> <laughs> then oil pulling will be all the rage if coconut oil is genetically modified. Yeah. Makes your teeth stronger. Mm-hmm. Do we have any other good news? Good news? No. No more good news. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I guess it depends on how you define good. What about that the the study about the meat and cheese being good for you, Doug? You, do you have anything to share about that? Yeah, I mean, that appears to be good news on its surface. Well, I mean, I guess uh, in a way it's good news because it's kind of getting out there into the media that despite the fact that coconut oil is poison, uh, <laughs> meat and cheese are actually good for you. And, you know, people you know, inevitably only read the headlines. So they're kind of, I mean, one thing it's doing is sowing confusion because you know, the headlines have been saying for the last, what, 40 years or more that red meat and cheese is going to kill you. It's got mm -hmm. cholesterol in it. It's going to make your cholesterol go up and give you a heart attack. And now a study comes out and says, no, actually meat and cheese is pretty good for you. So it's like people, you know, what, what, you know, I think people are having like, you know, there's smoke coming out of the ears of headline <laughs> readers across the planet right now. But um, the problem is that this is just another um, epidemiological study, uh, which uh. you cannot make statements about cause and effect from an observational study. You just can't do it. You know, if you take a group of people and you say, okay, um, we're going to ask you a questionnaire about what you're eating. And then from that information, we're going to look at your health and we're going to see what, um, what foods um, are correlated. That's the key word there, correlated with diseases or with certain outcomes. The problem is that there's so many confounding factors, like other things that could be causing those outcomes that aren't accounted for in the study. It's impossible for these scientists to account for all these other factors that might be having an effect, right? So it's like, you know, one of the examples is, uh, you know, umbrellas are correlated with rainstorms, but <laughs> umbrellas don't cause rainstorms, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same kind of thing. It's kind of like, you know, well, these people ate these things and the people who ate this got this disease. It's like, well, who knows what else they might have been doing? You can't just say, like, ignore everything else and say, well, it's because they were eating this. The only way you can do that is if you control for all those things in an actual trial. So this is the, yet another one. I mean, I won't even, well, maybe I will. The other thing is that they use these things called food frequency questionnaires to do these kinds of studies. And this is the biggest piece of BS that you will find in science. It's kind of like they will give you a questionnaire once a year and mm -hmm. ask you what you ate over the last year. I mean, who the hell remembers that? Do you remember what you had for dinner last night or the night before? Yes, what about it was a week delicious. ago? <laughs> <laughs> what did you have for dinner one week ago? Meat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what it's did you just have for dinner ridiculous. two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> and how much of it? I think there was yeah. a video in one of those articles, and they asked the guy how many ribs he ate. Yeah. But they asked him in cups. How many, yeah. how many cups, cups of ribs, ribs did you eat? <laughs> a super-sized <Exactly>. cup. <laughs> and I, I read somewhere that there's something like, uh, I don't remember what the number was. It was like 6,000 or some, some crazy number of foods that people eat. 
or could possibly be eating in any given population. And it's like, maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was like 600. Anyway, it was a lot. And, you know, the food frequency questionnaires ask you questions about maybe 100. Maybe, <laughs> if you're lucky. So it's like there's so many things that kind of slip through the cracks. And if you don't ask them if they ate them, if they ate this thing, mm -hmm. then who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe there's like the perfect correlation with a food that you don't even have on your food frequency questionnaire. Mm -hmm. So the, the whole thing is just a terrible like, study. During this time, did you smoke crack? That yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> made you yeah. have a heart attack. <laughs> totally. They don't see. They don't say. So do you work with uh, nuclear waste material? <laughs> or yeah. do you so, spray Roundup for your job every day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many. There's so many different things that could be going on there. So. All that they can do is say there's a correlation between these things. And, and traditionally what these studies were used for is to then form hypotheses and learn what to actually do clinical trials on, to actually you know, have a lab situation where you can control for all the different variables and see if that correlation actually you know, makes sense, if that correlation actually is a cause and effect. But nowadays, as soon as one of these observational studies are done, they pump it out there and claim a cause and effect and then it hits all the headlines. And that's why you he see these ridiculous headlines all the time where, you know, that low-carb diets are going to kill you, that, uh, you know, whatever, coffee will make you live 20 decades longer or something like that. It's, it's insane. <laughs> like all these, these all, anytime you see one of those headlines, you can almost guarantee that it's an observational study and it means absolutely nothing. Blueberries will give you supervision. It's like, no, they won't. <laughs> I'm surprised they're still allowed to make those studies. I mean, what a complete waste of time and money. Yeah, but they make money. I mean, that's it's their bread and butter, right? That's, yeah. that's what they... That's, that's what not they science. Do. No. And that's probably what this lady did for that, you know, coconut oil is poison. Uh, <laughs> the university needed some funding and somebody offered her a, a nice chunk and she took it. Crisco. Ran with Crisco, Crisco. <laughs> Crisco was like, hey, you want to make a quick buck? It used to be, I think Crisco used to be animal fat. Did yeah, I think it? it was lard. Until the, the yeah. vegetable oil industry took over. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, since nobody called in to share, <laughs> <laughs> I guess everything out there is normal for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a safe assumption. Yeah. Well, we do have a pet health segment. Woohoo! Yeah. Hopefully, it's some good news. <laughs> Your cats and dogs will be able to sniff out glyphosate contamination in your food and warn you <laughs> yeah by dying oh <laughs> sorry that was keep dark it good. keep it good <laughs> oh look at oh. this we have a caller Ooh. hello caller what's your name caller caller are you there and he's not. Uh, well, maybe hmm. we can play the pet health segment and they'll try and call back. Because we would love to have a caller. Yeah. We yes. never get to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
We'll play the pet health segment. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week I would like to share with you fun information about sloths. I bet many of you don't know much about these strange creatures, besides the fact that they are slow. Well, apparently there is much more. So listen up and have a great weekend! Hi, I'm Danielle Dufault and you're watching Animal Logic. Sloths got real popular a couple of years ago when Kristen Bell melted down over them on Ellen. And as they populated the internet as various sloth memes. Possibly the reason for their diverse memification is that sloths are weird. They evolved 60 million years ago in South America, which was then an isolated island. That explains why they have characteristics that are different from almost all other animals. Although they look kind of like monkeys, they are not primates, but rather are related to anteaters and armadillos, which you would have no idea by looking at them. They belong to the category Xenarthra, which means strange joints. Also, they have internal testicles, which contributes to the fact that it is very hard to identify their sex, and zoos have sometimes purchased the wrong sex by accident. Sloths come in the two-toed and three-toed varieties. Though all sloths have three toes, only the two-toed variety has two fingers. Confusing, I know. Both species are folivores, which means they eat leaves for a living. If you've ever eaten a tree leaf, you'll know that leaves suck and are very hard to digest. Sloths get around this problem by taking a really long time to digest them. They have a slow metabolism and don't waste any unnecessary energy. They spend almost all their time upside down in the trees, hanging by their impressive claws, which means they don't use much muscle power even for that. In keeping with their slow metabolism, they only poop once a week, which would make them lovely house guests. Of course, you wouldn't want them as house guests because they are in fact very picky eaters. The three-toed sloth in particular will only eat certain types of leaves from the area where they were born. They learn which leaves to eat by licking bits and pieces from their mom's mouth. And when they've learned which leaves she likes, that's what they want to eat for the rest of their lives. Although we use slothfulness as a synonym for lazy, sloths are not lazy. They're quite agile and smart. Some have even been toilet trained, which can't have been that hard considering they only poop once a week. They just do everything in slow motion. Regularly, sloths will move at a top speed of around 2 meters per minute on the ground. But if the sloth is in immediate danger, they can move slightly faster at up to 4 meters a minute or 0.24 kilometers an hour or 0.14 miles per hour. They're not fast. They move so slowly because they only have about a quarter as much muscle mass as other animals of similar weight and size, and moving quickly burns unnecessary amounts of energy. Weirdly enough, sloths, who spend most of their time in trees, are great swimmers, which explains how their giant ancestors were able to colonize the Antilles. They're able to move through water three times faster than on land, and can hold its breath for 40 minutes. It does this by depressing its slow metabolism and slowing its heart rate to less than a third than normal. They are so slow, in fact, that they act as mini ecosystems. Algae grows on their fur, giving them a strange green color. This makes them look like trees and makes it difficult for their main predators, eagles, jaguars, and us, to spot them. 
They also play host to sloth moths, which evolved to live exclusively on the fur of sloths. Some three-toed sloths have as many as 120 moths living on them, all coexisting nicely. In zoos, sloths are often housed with other species, and marmosets in particular often hang out on sloths. While they spend most of their lives in trees, they do go to ground once a week to defecate. We don't really know why they do this, but we have a few theories. Some argue that defecating from their tree would be loud and attract predators. Another possibility is that they defecate near their choice tree, providing it with its required nutrients, like butt gardeners. A more recent theory suggests it's possible that they may do it to provide the moths that live on them a place to lay their eggs. Another theory is that taking a trip to the little sloth's room, as it were, forces them to bump into sloths they likely otherwise wouldn't see, giving opportunity for procreation. Kind of like vloggers. What animals should I check out next? Let me know in the comments, and be sure to subscribe for new episodes of Animal Logic every week. Thanks for watching! Well, thank you, Zoya, for that pet health segment. That was really weird. Really, <laughs> really weird. And you were right, Zoya. We did not know all of that about sloths. <laughs> Definitely not. Mm. I think I found my new spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that sloths have internal testicles. But human mm. males don't, so wear briefs. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't wear briefs. No, yeah, boxers. I get them yeah. confused. Uh, of course, I'm a girl. Yeah, they don't <laughs> apply to you. Yeah, that was one of our maybe Lighter. topics that we would discuss. Wear yeah. briefs. No, <laughs> don't wear no. briefs. No, I did it again. <laughs> You're exempt. Okay. Do we have a caller? We are still having technical difficulties with it, I think. Yeah. Because um, we can't, he, he can hear us, but we can't hear him. Hmm. Well, caller, thanks for trying. Yeah. Maybe next time. <laughs> I think that's all for today. Yeah. We appreciate everyone listening in and trying to call in. Wait a minute. He's trying again. <laughs> He's persistent. Caller, are you there? Hello? Nope. No, I'm still not hearing him. Oh, well. Well, again, thank you all for joining us today for the good, the bad, and the completely insane. <laughs> If you ever have anything you'd like to share, please join in our chat or call in. And uh, be sure to tune into Saturday's show, uh, Behind the Head, or The Truth Perspective, and Sunday's show, The News Reel. Have a great Friday, everyone. Bye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody.